Millennial Ag, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today, your co-hosts, Valine Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Well, listeners, I'm super excited and I've been fangirling all week because we have <laughs> Courtney Dehoff here with us today. And for those of you that don't know her, we came across her on Instagram um, primarily because she started the hashtag Fancy Lady Cowgirl. And we're like, she put something in our brains that we've been thinking, but she actually put a label to it. Catherine and I love a little bit of red lipstick, a little bit of dressing up, putting on some heels occasionally at the office, but we always have a pair of coveralls and muck boots in the pickup because we never know when somebody's cows are out, when the cows need milking or some poop needs sampling in our <laughs> industry. So we're super excited to have Courtney here. Um, and she's been to New York. She's in Texas right now, and she's kind of been been there done that in a lot of different realms whether it's tv or rodeo or ranching um she's been all over so i'll let her do her full introduction um so thanks courtney for being with us yeah thank you that was quite the introduction i don't know what else needs to be said um <laughs> no i appreciate you guys having me on and i love that you guys you ladies i should say can connect with fancy lady cowgirl you know fancy lady cowgirl was sort of born recently, I sort of figured out how to brand it, but it's been 12 years in the making. You know, um, I grew up on a ranch in Kansas. Uh, we rodeoed and we showed Angus heifers all over the country. So I grew up, you know, competing in rodeo and showing cattle. I sort of, you know, look back and I'm like, wow, I had the best of both worlds. I got to do two, you know, different things. Um, I went to Oklahoma State on a rodeo scholarship. And I just, it was, it's in my blood. You know, my grandpa is 81 years old. He turned 81 uh, last week and he still ranches alongside my grandma and my uncle. And it's, you know, very much a family operation and ranching has just really been all I've ever known. And the agriculture industry was all I had ever known. Well, when I went to Oklahoma State, I majored in communications. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I went to rodeo, if we're being honest. <laughs> and I had a friend who, had, who was a year older. And she's like, well, I majored in ag communications. And I was like, well, I'm going to do that too. That sounds great. I don't know what that is. <laughs> but I interned at a TV station while I was there. And I just fell in love with it. And that was it. I went ahead and got my degree. But as far as I was concerned, it was TV all the way. I loved the storytelling aspect of it. And I was really blessed because this place that I interned, I mean, he did what a good boss does in an internship. He was like, yeah, sure, you can be on TV, but I'm going to teach you to do everything. I'm going to teach you to tell the story. I'm going to teach you to make graphics. I'm going to, you're going to produce a show on your own. And when you come into my office and ask questions, I'm going to pretend like I can't hear. I mean, he really sort of like threw me in and let me sink <laughs> and then watched me sort of swim my way back up. And so I'm really thankful to Rob um, McClendon is his name and I'm, I'm still good friends with him. And I just, I knew TV was what I wanted to do. And I pro rodeoed a little bit. I was college rodeoing, but I was like, okay, I'm going to give up this rodeo for now. And I'm going to pursue a career in television. And so when I left Oklahoma state, my first job was at a Western network and I moved to Nashville and I was there for a year and I hated it. I hated the environment. It was in my opinion, not doing justice to the community that I knew and loved. And I just, I didn't like it. So I quit. And that's how my TV career started. I quit my first big kid job, as I like to say. Um, and, you know, traveled to Europe for a while because I learned very quickly in TV, you don't just like go from job to job to job. There are contracts, 
and you have to wait until people's contracts are up. They're not always hiring. I mean, TV is sort of a very tricky industry. And so anyway, that sort of was a turning point for me. And I thought, you know what? I want to be on TV in places like New York and LA. I want to be on networks like CBS Sports and Good Morning America and The Today Show. And if I'm going to be on those networks, well, then I can't really like embrace this rural side. Mm-hmm. You know, this young, like 23 year old in me was like, okay, this is why at, at 23 years old, I think the reason that I haven't made it to New York already is because I'm a little farm kid from Kansas. <laughs> and so I'm going to stop telling people I'm a little farm kid from Kansas. And so for many years, I didn't really discuss where I came from, what my background was, but what I discovered is that once it's a part of you, it never leaves. Mm -hmm. And you can try as hard as you want to get rid of it Mm -hmm. and to ignore it, but it's in your, it's in your soul, as cheesy as that sounds, like you cannot get rid of it. And I'd actually, a real turning point for me happened in Dallas about Four years ago, I moved to Dallas to host a TV show here, and it was a national news network. So our direct competitor was the Today Show, Good Morning America, you know, these giants. And our producer was always saying, bring us stories that no one's talking about. Bring us big national stories that the media is not talking about. Well, like, that's easier said than done. You know, we didn't have the budget of GMA or the Today Show or CNN or whoever. And during that time, there were really bad wildfires that popped up in the Midwest. And my mom texted me, and she said, this is really, really bad. And they're not talking about it on the TV. Like when I turn on my TV, nobody's talking about it. They're not talking about it on the networks. They're talking about a little bit on like local news, but this is a big national story. And so I pitched it to my producer and I remember she didn't answer the email and I was like, well, that's weird. Like I can see her sitting at her computer, you know? And I finally stood up and I said, did you get my email? And she stood up in a room, you know, I tell this story all the time in a room full of my peers. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, I got your email. Need I remind you, this is a real news network. Stop bringing me your little cowgirl problems. And I just, it broke my heart because these fires were affecting people that I knew personally, you know? And if I didn't know the people personally, I could put myself in their shoes because I imagine, you know, if that was my pappy or my grandma and our ranch. And so I stayed after work and I used the work computer and I edited a little piece together just on my own accord with like, stuff I found online and I posted it on Facebook just because it made me feel better. It made me feel like I was at least doing my part to Mm -hmm. get something out there. And I didn't have a lot of followers, you know, but it just helped me sleep that night. And when I got up the next morning, it had over 1 million views. And for me, that was such a wake up call that I needed. I wish that that story hadn't happened. I wish I didn't have to tell that story, but that was a real turning point for me because I was like, wait a minute, there's a lot of people in this country that want to know what's happening in rural America. And like, maybe I should stop pretending that I don't know about this because I'm actually the perfect person to talk about this because I've lived it, but I also understand how to put together a story for a news network, a national news network. And, you know, I walked in that next day and of course all my bosses had seen it and I got to do a follow-up. They were like, all right, get your gear, get a, you know, go. And I, I didn't have a photographer. I had to shoot and edit it, but I put out a thing on Facebook. I went to a Texas ranch and this beautiful story was told. And you know, that from that point on, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to embrace this like cowgirl thing a little bit. And then, you know, just as the years sort of wore on, I, I embraced it more and more, but fancy lady cowgirl was born because I always felt like I didn't fit in. I was, I just couldn't quite fit in with like the New York crowd because try as hard as I might, 
the cowgirl just comes out, you know, <laughs> I just like can't shove her back in, you know, that, that mm -hmm. cowgirl mentality really envelops everything that I do. I couldn't get rid of it. But then I sort of, at that point, I had been away from the Western and rural community long enough that like nobody knew who I was or remembered that like I had the background. They were like, who's this TV host? I'm like, no, 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 I grew up on a ranch. And they're like, I bet you did. <laughs> you know, so it was like this struggle of like, wait a minute, I don't know where to fit in. And I really, really love being in the city. And I love being fancy. And I love like going to fashion week and sitting next to like men in dresses. Like, I think that's cool. But I also like love to ride a horse and I love to get dirty and I love to, you know, check cows with my grandpa. And so it's like, what, who are you? This is weird. And so I called it. I was like, you know what? I'm a fancy lady cowgirl. Boom. Posted it on Instagram once. And I was like, oh, so there are other people who feel this way. And <laughs> so that's my long drawn out story. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love your drawn out story and I'll just keep listening to you tell stories because it's, it's very entertaining and you can tell that you have an act for being on TV and being in front of the microphone. Um, and I think it just, it sparks so much passion in me too. And one of my things is being a climbing cowgirl. So I rock climb a little bit and I'm a cowgirl. And it was like, like the two people are totally different, but how, but how can we embrace who we are and run with it? And so how, once you kind of started embracing both those things and everything you love and being authentic to you. What was the response from maybe the fancy, the fancy industry and then the cowgirl industry? You know, the response from both sides was more amazing than anything I could have ever expected or predicted. Like I said, I just always thought I felt this way because I was like the weirdo, like cowgirl who went into TV. Like I don't, there are other girls who do television, you know, who come from ranching backgrounds, but I went as far away from it as I, as I could, you know, I was working with people right here, even in Texas who have never seen a cow in real life or never touched a horse. Or, I mean, I was working, I still work all the time with people who they know, they just don't know. They don't know anything. And what I found was even with those people, and I tell this story a lot when I was in New York, I roomed with my best friend who I grew up high school rodeoing in Kansas with. And so the two of us would go out like, you know, in New York to a, a bar or whatever it may be. And we're both blonde and pretty obvious, you know, we're close or whatever. And people are like, Oh, are you sisters? And we're like, no, we're best friends. And they're like, Oh, how did you meet? And we, what we discovered is if I, if we were to say, Oh, I'm a TV host and she's a musician. And she says, oh, I'm a singer. People are like, oh, okay. Anyway, because everybody in New York is a TV host or a singer or an actor or whatever. But when we started saying, oh, well, we're cowgirls. And then she'd go, oh, and she was a rodeo queen. Well, you could just see people like, what? Like, they're joking. <laughs> the they're joking. This isn't, this isn't real. And that kind of thing used to embarrass me. But what I, maybe it's maturity. I don't know. What I started to discover is it, people were intrigued. You know, the cowboy is such a romanticized thing in, in American culture, especially. And you know, whether people understand it or not, there's a certain just allure about it and about that lifestyle. And so I discovered that these like fancy, you know, people, whether it be in New York or I've had agents in LA who are like, what's your brand? And I'm like, well, I'm a cowgirl. And then you can see them go, wait, you're what? And I, what I can see on their faces, oh, we don't have one of those. We need to get a cowgirl. You know, they don't, they, they don't have a lot of cow, real cowgirls around New York or around LA or New York or wherever. And 
So I've just discovered that people really embrace it. And I have friends here in Dallas, you know, I have a really good girlfriends here in Dallas who they don't know anything about it, but man, they are my number one supporters and they wear fancy lady cowgirl t-shirts and they've got the stickers and they do the photo shoots with me. And, you know, people, they, they want to learn about it and, and they want to embrace it. Now on the rural side, I couldn't believe, and I still, I get messages every day from women like us who are like, oh my gosh, thank you. I'm an EMT and a cowgirl. Or like, I'm, I literally, I've had people, women message me and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm a neurosurgeon, but I also grew up on a ranch. I'm like, what? Like, this is so <laughs> cool. And that's what Fancy Lady Cowgirl is. I want to tell those stories of women who have maybe left the ranch or the rural community and, and sort of have a love for both. And I also want to tell the stories of women who know nothing about it, but are really interested and just have a passion for learning more. That's what Fancy Lady Cowgirl is to me. And I've sort of, I coined it cowgirl because that's what I consider myself, a cowgirl. You know, I grew up riding and ro roping and ranching. And But to me, and I've said this a few times on my Instagram, when I think of a cowgirl, I don't necessarily think of someone who rides a horse. I don't care if you've never ridden a horse. I don't care if you've never even been around a horse. You know, we sort of have this stereotype of what a cowgirl is. Mm -hmm. To me, a cowgirl is just somebody who embraces and uplifts ways of the Western culture. You know, it's somebody who has those... Um, traits of humility and integrity and morality. That's what a cowgirl is to me. So I don't care, you know, if you come from a pig farm, you're a cowgirl. I don't care if you are running a CBD farm in Colorado, you can be a cowgirl, you know? And I try to, I say that because I'll have people message me and they're like, oh, we really love what you're doing. We're not, we're not cowgirls, but we really relate with it. And I'm like, no, 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 you're a cowgirl. Like I coined you a cowgirl. It's my rules. Fierce Lady Cowgirl is mine. I <laughs> You're a cowgirl. <laughs> so I, it's, it's been great. I love that so much because I grew up on a dairy farm. So in like the very strictest sense of cowgirl, I am, but I've always <laughs> referred to myself as a farm girl because I, I mean, I rode horses a little bit, but I didn't rodeo. I, I wasn't cool and didn't come from a ranch <laughs> or anything like that. But, um, I really love that just embracing that you have, you have done of women and just, you know, allowed allowed women from rural America, from agriculture, from wherever, um, to really embrace that part of our identities and encourage each other with it mm -hmm. and, and just uplift, uplift women because, because your story rings so, so true. Um, you know, you've, you've obviously gotten messages from thousands of people like this and we've lived these stories ourselves and it's really refreshing, um, just to find someone to step into that power and be like, Come on, let's all do this. Yeah, thank you. You know, I um, I have a friend who I actually met via Instagram, but we did meet in real life. So I think we're like technically legitimate friends. Um, she's a singer. Her name's Jenna Paulette. And she sort of coined the phrase modern cowgirl. And I think that's exactly, fancy lady cowgirl is the same thing, you know, because when you think about modern women in agriculture, you're not just on the dairy farm. You have a job in town you know, these women are raising kids, they're running ranches, they've got clothing lines on the side, you know, they're flying to New York on the weekends because they're doing media. I mean, it's amazing. The people involved in agriculture who have agriculture backgrounds, any career you can think of, I, I almost guarantee there's somebody with an agriculture background or passion involved. And it's just amazing. You know, I, I'm always 
intrigued by the messages because it's like, wow, you do. I had a lady uh, the other day message me. I was driving through Dallas and I do this weird, it's like this weird habit I have. I'm in my car, you know, um, I don't know why I did that sound effect. Anyway, <laughs> I'm driving through Dallas and I, I always look down the streets like, Ooh, I could get a trailer down that street. I get mm, not a good, not a good, <laughs> I don't know why. I'm never driving a trailer, hopefully in downtown Dallas. And I had this lady message me and she's like, Oh, I've driven a trailer in downtown Dallas because we put all my products uh, in the horse trailer because I had a line at Neiman Marcus. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, this is so cool. I didn't even, I was so like disturbed, like just impressed. I didn't even get to ask her. I should have, I need to find the message. I didn't even ask her what it was, but I was just like, what? This is so cool. And she's like, yeah, you should have seen the ballet at the hotel when we rolled up in like this swanky city. And the hotel she was staying at is very bougie. And she goes, yeah, we pulled up in our horse trailer. I was like, you go girl. You go. That is what a fancy lady cowgirl is. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I can, yeah, pulling horse trailers through places that horse trailers don't Should usually go is, is really entertaining, and I can't even imagine what Dallas is like, because, like, Fort yeah. Collins, Colorado's, um, yeah, you get a few head turns when you're pulling through Fort Collins, so I can't, yeah. Yeah. So, how, you're so busy, Courtney, and it's so fun to watch you, but we struggle with this a lot is how to take care of yourself through all this because we get where we go, go, go. We want to do the podcast. We've got our day jobs. We want to travel. We see friends, you know, all this stuff. But where do you find time for you and how do you unwind? Well, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm pretty tightly wound. <laughs> That's <laughs> genetic. I thank my mother for that. Um, you know, it's hard and it's especially hard because I am considered like a freelancer or an independent contractor. So I'm, I'm self-employed essentially. So everything's on me. And um, I've been doing this for about two years now and it's hard. You know, there are nights where I just like lay awake, like I'll never work again. Oh, what am I going to do with my life? You know, it always works out, but it, it's tough. Before COVID, um, <laughs> COVID, God bless it. Uh, before COVID in January, I started literally January 3rd um, at, I was at Madison Square Garden and I started with the PBR January 3rd. Um, and literally from that point on, I was on an airplane every single week with the PBR, either the Unleashed Beast Tour and then I did the Velocities. So I was traveling with them doing um, their Ride Path broadcast. And I would literally, I was also doing speaking events. Like, you know, I do a lot of speaking events to agriculture groups. There were days where I was, I would literally, I would get home to my apartment at like 4.30 in the afternoon. I would get in my bed and my alarm would go off at 3 a.m. and I would drive back to DFW and then I'd be gone for another. And it was intense. You know, I, I had to find moments and you sort of have to like force yourself. Like I would sometimes sit in my hotel room, you know, because the PBRs were in the evening. I would sit in my hotel room all morning, just like sit. And it sounds dumb because you're like, whoa, you're in these cool places. Like you should be out doing stuff and like seeing things. And I did in New York because like I lived there. So like I went out and about in New York, but you have to like, you just have to have a moment to be still. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit and I had a whole lot of time to be still, which almost I think made me crazier. I was like, if I don't do something soon. So, you know, it's this fine balance. I'm, I'm not great at it. If I'm being honest, I really am not. I, I have to go to the gym now that I'm 30. I've suddenly like, I'm like, oh, none of my clothes fit. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> uh, you know, and in traveling, eating on the road is hard. So I was trying to work out. Like sometimes I would, you know, go downstairs at the hotels 
to work out. But then I only did that once because I went down there and it was full of bull riders. And I was like, oh God, they're like doing one arm push ups. I was like, okay, I'm going to go back up to my hotel room. <laughs> so, like, you know, I, I try to work out. I'm not a great eater either. This is not a good answer. I'm not great at it, honestly. Like, I don't have a, a figured out answer, but it's it's a constant work in progress. I, I think I'm getting better at it, um, but it's tough. No, that's awesome for you to say that out loud. I think that that goes right along with Fancy Lady Cowgirl admitting that, or just saying it's not an admission, you know, it's not a bad thing, um, that you don't have it all figured out, that is a struggle for you. Um, I mean, like Valine said, we've sort of been fangirling for a week over here that we got to have you on our podcast and here you are and we're having a great conversation and oh my God, you're real too. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I got really bad. Like I would, I would get home from the PBRs and I would come, I discovered Uber Eats, which is like not cost efficient by the way. And I would just be like, oh, I worked so hard this week at the PBR. I deserve Uber Eats until I leave again tomorrow. Like, and it wasn't healthy stuff. I was eating chips and salsa and then going to bed. It was just not great. It was not great for anybody. Hey, um, also has vegetables. <laughs> uh, don't tell me that. I cannot. It's my kryptonite. Chips and salsa is my kryptonite. I have got to lay off. It's it's not doing well for me. <laughs> so another thing we're wondering um, is how do you manage being so active on social media with your busy lifestyle because Val and I were doing this podcast social media thing on the side with our day jobs and you know we want to grow it and we want to turn it into something really cool um but sometimes at the end of the day the last thing you want to do is think of something clever to post on Instagram or Facebook or the cesspool of Twitter <laughs> yeah you know that's a great question um I'll be very honest social media is something that I would say well for Instagram specifically I really started honing in on and focusing on my Instagram in March only because I was at home sitting on my couch in my apartment, <laughs> not allowed to go outside. So I really started sort of trying to like learn and, and sort of figure out some of the logistics. I, I don't understand the analytics. I, I post hashtags, not really sure what the point of them is, but I do it because other people do it. Don't really know. Um, but I'm learning as I go. And when it comes to Instagram, I look at like the girls who have big followings who are, who are doing similar content. And I've reached out to a couple of them. Like my friend, Natalie Koberick um, is great. She was with Ranch Rice Beef Co. And I thought one time I just asked her, I was like, um, I know that like, I should probably pay you for this, but like, super friends, can you help me? And she was so kind and so wonderful. And so I would say if anyone listening, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. Like, don't be afraid to reach out to someone like me and be like, how do I have, girls all the time like how do we get started like how did you start your platform and for me honestly the 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 one fact that i do know about social media is authenticity always reigns king so you talk about not wanting to do a post or or you know whatever i don't have a set schedule i just post when i'm inspired i sit down and i write out my post in my notes something that is on my mind, something that's inspiring me, and I, I choose a picture and I post it. Now, I do, like within the last week or so, I try to like sort of have a color, you know, like I'm sort of getting in tune with that stuff, but I always tell myself this. I'm like, I'm not gonna let an aesthetic get in the way of my message. I'm not gonna let, you know, a look or a, you know, theme ruin what I wanna say. Like, I am pretty authentic. I do everything from, 
you know, fancy lady cowgirl to jogger watch to whatever else may be going on. Um, because at the end of the day, I think when it comes to social media and the same for you and the same for people listening at the end of the day, you're the brand, you know, I'm the brand and I'm, I'm honest. I'm real. I really love supporting other women. I'm kind of, I like to have some fun. I'm a little ornery. So like that's sort of what my social media, I guess, encapsulates and, you know, knowing your audience as well. I will say this, I have very different audiences on Instagram and on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't necessarily try, I don't really post different content. Like my Instagram posts go right to my Facebook, but I, I know that certain things do better on Instagram. Certain things do better on Facebook. Facebook, um, the people are a lot meaner. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Instagram, for the most part, is like, yeah, woo, you go. And then Facebook's like, well, you're, dear Courtney, you're an idiot. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, you have to just sort of like learn your audience. And one big thing for me, as far as I'm on my phone a lot. And sometimes when the little like iPhone, like this is how many hours you spend on your phone. I'm like, oh my oh. gosh, if anybody saw that, I probably need help. Like I should probably go to therapy. This is embarrassing. But at the same time, one thing that I'm very cognizant about, if I'm like out to dinner with friends or if I am having a meeting or if I'm just doing something one-on-one or even in a group, I'm not on that phone. And it's a pet peeve of mine when I'm hanging out with people, even if it's like watching a movie or something and I look over and they're on their phone. So I try to be very cognizant about not doing that. When I'm with my family, I try not to be on my phone. Now, when I'm like at the ranch or something, I've got the phone out because I'm videoing and I'm, I'm trying to get content and do stuff, but I, it's just a balance. It's a balancing act. Well, and I love the message between the balance is your own authenticity. You're authentic to your um, followers on Instagram, on Facebook, but you're also authentic to your family and your friends and the people you're with. And I think that's the biggest downside to especially the millennial generation since this is millennial ag podcast but we get buried in not being authentic or hiding behind our phones whether it's person to person or what we're posting and I we try that's what we struggle with is we want to be authentic and we also want to put a good message out there and sometimes we get a little too educational or too like scripted but I but just being real and being like oh we fell down in the mud today and, and we're or getting cow poop because that's more likely <laughs> yep. and we're picking ourselves up and we're moving forward. And it's funny when like I posted a wreck that I had on my horse a couple weeks ago and we got more likes and appreciations for that than some mm-hmm. of the scripted stuff. So I think we appreciate your authenticity and just being real, a real, a real cowgirl and a real fancy lady cowgirl. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. And I think that's why people connect with Fancy Lady Cowgirl because, and I can, I, I sort of, the term had sort of been coined for several years, but I remember the really, the first post that really took off um, was maybe last year. And I posted a photo of me standing in the subway in New York and I was upset, almost said a bad word. I was upset because... (laughs) When I was living in New York, I started, you know, every now and then I would post a photo of New York, my favorite city in the world. I love New York on my Facebook. And I would get messages from people who I knew, like not trolls, legitimate people that would say things like, we followed you on Facebook because we thought you were a rancher. But if you like this city, obviously you're a joke and you don't even, we don't, the industry doesn't need you. I mean, I got messages and it broke my heart Mm -hmm. because I was like, wait a minute, these are my people. 
And suddenly, because I'm in a city that maybe my guess is they've never been to, that they don't know much about, now suddenly they've just written me off as not an important voice for agriculture because I'm in some city they don't agree with. So I posted a photo of me standing in the subway in New York City, dressed out. I was headed to Fashion Week. I was going to a show. And I said, I'm going to say this for all the people in the back. And I, I just, I was mad. I mean, it was a rant. It wasn't like as aggressive on Instagram as it was in my head when I was like writing it. <laughs> but it was sort of that I can look like this and still advocate for agriculture. My fancy clothes don't make me any less of a cowgirl. My voice is equally as important. In fact, you need voices in cities like this. Right. If agriculture is ever going to go mainstream. And so I just wrote out this post. And I remember I literally like hit post and I walked out the door. I don't know where I was going. And then that night when I opened my phone, oh my gosh, I had so many comments and messages and I thought, wait a minute. So there's other people that feel the same way too. And that was just me being authentic. I was ticked off. I worded it nicely and I just posted it, you know, and I think it's just whatever is on your heart and whatever is authentically you post it. And I post stuff all the time. That's authentically me that people don't like that they don't agree with. People get mad. People get mad at me all the time because I say things about agriculture that I think need to be said. And agriculture doesn't always like to hear them. Mm -hmm. And I say them, you know, so you just have to know not everybody's going to agree. Not everybody's going to like you. Um, people are going to message you mean things, you know, people are going to forget you're human. And that's just, you know, that's part of it. That's part of having a platform, unfortunately. But I would just say at the end of the day, you have to be authentic to you. You know, I um, was talking about some, my brand as a fancy lady cowgirl with somebody. And I said, ah, I'm just trying to define it. Like I'm trying to, I, I, I'm trying to figure out like what direction I'm going. And he says, stop, 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 stop. And he looked at me and he said, here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define the brand for you right now. He said, when it comes to fancy lady cowgirl, if it's something you like to do, if it's something you're passionate about, that's on brand. If it's something you don't want to do and you don't like it, that's off brand. And I was like, ah, wow. Okay, great. So if I like it and I'm into it, it's on brand. You know, I think that's just, it's so important to remember. It is. And just like you were saying, I bet you influenced more people at fashion week about agriculture and being a cowgirl and about the ranching lifestyle than any of us or any of our checkoff dollars or anything has probably ever done. And it's putting ourselves out there in environments we enjoy, but also in a little different environments than agriculture is used to going and vice versa, bringing the city life back to the Kansas ranch where a lot of your family has probably not been or doesn't appreciate fashion week. And it's telling those stories from different points of view, I think can get agriculture and promoting beef or milk or whatever a lot farther by just having those authentic conversations with somebody that might not see eye to eye with us. Yeah. Rather than, rather than getting, you know, so completely polished and having your, your talking points and your bullet points and everything, boom, 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 you know, that can be pretty alienating in my opinion. And I am, I am loving this, how you're talking about, you know, you meet people and wherever you are in New York city and you're telling them that you're a cowgirl and they're just fascinated because I've had that same experience. And, you know, people are like, what you, you've touched cows. <laughs> and, and it's so incredibly funny how easy it is to have a conversation about the lifestyle that we love with those kinds of people. And then back in agriculture in our little tiny circle, relatively speaking, you know, we cannot figure out our right hand from our left hand trying to connect with consumers. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's a real problem. And this kind of goes along the lines of some of the stuff that I say about agriculture that agriculture does not like to hear. Mm -hmm. 
agriculture, not everyone, I'm just going to say that, don't, don't email me, not everyone, but agriculture largely as a whole, as a collective, is incredibly quick to judge people. They're incredibly quick to write people off. Those idiots at that man wearing a dress at a fashion show, he will never understand what we do or who we are. Did you ask him? Did you try to have a conversation with him? Or did you write him off as non-essential to the agriculture story before you even knew his? And on the hindsight, agriculture gets so upset and we get so worked up with the media. Nobody tells our story. And when they do tell our story, it's not right. They don't get us. How come nobody wants to tell our story? Because we're a Again. bunch of cranky people who act like that. <laughs> You're exactly right. You know, we have got to be more open. And I go all over the country and I speak to groups. And I can tell. I can watch the crowd. The w- women are more receptive to this. The men ages... 40 and up. I can see the eyes glaze over. I can see the eyes glaze over when I start saying things like, we need to get vulnerable. You need to be willing to have the media come to your house. You need to have a conversation with them. They go, Courtney, how can we trust the media? How can we trust that they're not going to spin this? I said, you know what? I cannot stand up here and guarantee that that reporter is going to get it right. But here's the thing. If you're not willing to talk to them, they're going to find somebody who is. Wouldn't you rather it be you trying to drive the narrative for agriculture than an animal rights activist who's like, me, 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 I'll talk about agriculture all day long. And it's hard. It's hard for a certain generation, both men and women. You know, agriculture is a predominantly older generation of people. I mean, it just is. And it's hard for them to be a little more open-minded and I'm not bashing them or anything. We need them as we need, we need those old school ranchers. I mean, they, the backbone of agriculture was built on them. My grandma, my pappy, but as millennials, I feel like our role, we really got to step up and we need to be voices for agriculture in whatever way, shape or form that may look like. And that's the real mission again, behind fancy lady cowgirl. I say, upholding traditions of the West in unexpected ways. Maybe you're an actor. I have an actor friend who I had on my podcast. I call him my friend. We haven't met in real life. We're friends. He just doesn't know it. Acting. Liz and El, you know, flying all over the world, acting. He's a cowboy. I have friends who are musicians, artists, doctors. Um, You know, there are just people all over the country who agriculture really needs. We need the people at home on the ranches. They're absolutely crucial. But I believe those non-traditional advocates are just as crucial to telling the story. Because if the consumer can no longer connect, and if the consumer no longer cares to know where their food is coming from, and if the consumer decides, you know what, we're just going to eat vegetables for the rest of our life because the vegetable people are talking to us. At least we know what the face looks like. Where does that leave animal agriculture? Right. So it's, it's hard truths. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of pushback, you know, people are like, Oh, you know, we don't, ah, we're not going to get on TV and cry. Is that what you mean by be vulnerable? No, just be willing to have a conversation. Be willing to show them that you're a human, that you're feeding the same food you're feeding them to, to your children. 
you know, those are those moments that people can connect with. And um, people, you know, the consumer, they don't know who the American rancher is. They don't know who the American farmer is. And I say this all the time, that's not their job. It's our job to show them who we are. You know what I mean? I, it's, it's a fine line because then people get mad and they're like, well, yeah, the consumer should want to know where their food comes from. Well, you know what? They're not going to get online and search you out. It's our job to be a voice for our industry. And in my opinion, we're 20 years behind. And we're at we, least, and we're selling a product. And so just like every other industry, like it's important to eat, but we're still selling a product and we have to market our product to the consumer just like Dell has to market their laptop to the consumer. We have to do the same thing because they have options now. They don't like, they just don't go to the butcher store and grab whatever's available. They can choose between the hamburger, the ground turkey or the plant-based beyond burger now. And so we have to sell beef or whatever our product is now. And yeah, we're, we agree. We're behind the eight ball and that's yeah. in our soapbox about tell your story too is, how do we how do we tell our vulnerable stories and continue to market our products to a a diverse consumer base nowadays? And especially mm -hmm. where you know your Dell computer, your iPhone, or whatever. Like I don't care how they're made, and I don't care that you know whatever. I just want to know that it's going to work when I get it. But food is so intrinsic intrinsically emotional. Um, you know, it's a very very personal thing to most everybody, especially you know if you're if you're feeding small children or you're taking care of you know an elder loved one or something like that. Like, food is is very upfront and in your face three times a day. And so I think that ag does have that additional hurdle. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's part of our lot and it's fine. We just need to figure out how to do it instead of, you know, whining and complaining about how people don't listen to our story, but you don't also, you also don't want to tell your story and you don't want people on your rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, a vicious cycle. <laughs> it really is. And, um, you know, I totally agree. Agriculture is 20 years at least behind in, in letting our consumers knowing, know what we're up to. And, you know, I think maybe even less receptive than ever to changing the way that we talk about what we do, what we sell, how we do it, and, mm -hmm. and being willing to be vulnerable, which like you said, does not mean getting on stage and crying. Mm -hmm. um, it means having conversations like this, and, you know, connecting with people who are willing to say the things that sort of piss off, you know, mainstream agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, and I think you bring up such a good point, having the conversations, because you never know where the conversation is going to lead. I think about, I tell this story um, a lot. I was emceeing a charity event in Dallas, like, you know, formal gown, hair, whole thing nothing to do with agriculture. Um, and so I'm there, I don't know anybody. They hired me to be the MC and I'm getting ready to walk up the stage. And this woman come like kind of runs up to me and grabs my arm. She says, hi. And I said, hi, like I'm getting ready to go. You know, I don't know where this is going. And she goes, are you Courtney Dehaw? And I said, yeah, should I, why? Who wants to know? You know, I was like, yeah. And she goes, I uh, watched your animal rights video. And I thought, oh boy, like, here we go. Um, I had partnered with Protect the Harvest to just sort of do a like, hey, this is the real mission behind these groups that I shall not name. Um, <laughs> Love it. So did, you know, did a video and I thought, oh boy, oh boy. And she goes, 
yeah, I watched it and I was like, oh, okay, can we have this conversation like afterwards? You know, like, am I going to have to like karate? Like, is she going to fight me? I don't know where this is going. And she goes, um, yeah, I watched it. I didn't know any of that. And I said, oh, okay, well, you know, I hope it was educational. Like, I don't know where this is going. And like, now it's not really the time. And she goes, I just wanted to say thank you. And I thought, whew, okay. She was receptive to it. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I was like, you know, are, are you a, a rancher? Like what, you know, just trying to figure out how she follows me. And she goes, yeah, I have some cows. And I was like, oh, well, very cool. Well, I'm so glad, you know, that you follow. And then I went on to stage, whatever. Didn't think anything else of it. And then after the event, she came back up to me and she introduced herself. And I said, okay, so, you know, your name is Jamie. I said, tell me about your cows. Like, do you have a, you know, ranch? Like, what do you do? And she goes, no, actually they're my neighbor's cows, but I just look at them over the fence and I have pictures of them in my house and I tell people they're my cows. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And she goes, I just absolutely love agriculture. She goes, I am just such a big proponent of animal agriculture and just everything that you guys do like I just think it's wonderful I hope that my daughter marries like a real ranching cowboy I just I so appreciate you guys and I was like oh like that's so sweet you know this woman who lives in the city in Dallas her neighbors got cows I said wow thank you and she goes I just love everything you do and I was like oh great wonderful thank you and as I got ready to walk away she said yeah she said, keep promoting agriculture, keep standing up for animal agriculture. And she goes, oh, by the way, I'm a vegetarian. I've never eaten meat a day in my life. Now, if you think back, if she had walked up and said, my name's Jamie, I'm a vegetarian, I probably would have been like, oh, okay. But I tell this story all the time because I think about Jamie and I think about how wonderful of an advocate she has become for animal agriculture, a woman who grew up in Los Angeles, mind you, didn't come from the background, grew up in LA, has no background, moved to Texas, you know, has cows. <laughs> and I look at someone like Jamie and I think about the agriculture community and I think, wow, she is the exact type of person that we would have written off so fast as not being essential to our story. She doesn't matter because she doesn't get us. She's never eaten meat in her life. Like what, you know, who is this person? And I, I did a podcast with her, you know, later as we became friends and I asked her about it. She said, I never, ever, she goes, rarely do I tell people I'm a vegetarian. I said, why? And she said, because people look at me like I'm crazy. She goes, I want to be a part of agriculture. I want to help tell the stories. I want to uplift you guys. But when people find out that I don't eat meat, she goes, they don't even want to talk to me anymore. That's the problem. We have got to be willing to have conversations with people who think differently, who look differently, who live differently. It's absolutely crucial to this narrative. You laid out what we've been trying to do since we started this podcast is have those difficult conversations in agriculture, but also in different sectors. Our, um, episode last week was with a vegan, with an animal activist vegan who used to show my own dairy cows. I grew up with her. <laughs> Talk about a twist, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it though. That's the kind of thing that we need to do more of. And I, you mentioned, I talk about this too, because I see a lot of fighting within the agriculture industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The grain fed people think the grass fed people are stupid. The chicken people don't have it. Beef industry, not their problem. The dairy, it's like, okay, if we could step back for a moment and, and I, we, you know, the three of us can scream this all we want, but it's like, come on, you guys, 
if we're not willing to work together and like, I love that. I'm literally like, Ooh, I need to get a vegan animal rights person. Maybe not, but in on my podcast, potentially, you know, I love that because we need to be having those conversations. You know, I've been to like, um, meetings and like breed organizations and big like industry events. And we sit there and we talk and we talk and we talk and we talk for three days. We talk, we talk, we talk. How are we going to do this? How are we going to promote this? How are we going to do this? But if you look around the room, it's all people like us sitting there. Mm-hmm. There's no there diversity. No, none. None. The consu- there's no consumers. There's nobody in the supply chain. It's just a bunch of ranchers sitting around yelling back and forth at each other. Mm-hmm. And then we just keep having these industry events and we pay a lot of money and we go and we talk about things and good things do come from these. I'm not bashing these big industry events at all, but mm-hmm. I look around and I'm like, this is just an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. We're just like regurgitating the same thing to one another. We get it. We, we get it. And so, yeah, it's a struggle. But again, one of those things, mm-hmm. just mark that under another thing agriculture doesn't necessarily like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> no, and we, Courtney, we've just enjoyed this conversation thoroughly because we, like, we brought up racism. We brought up mental health. We brought up those conversations that those industry groups don't they might give a little lip service to and pat you on the head and send you on your way but they don't have those hard deep conversations or let us question the norm sometimes because how are we going to get the next generation of agriculture to take over if we can't be forethinking if we can't include everybody if we can't have diversity at the table whether it's in the supply chain or consumers or get people involved in agriculture that (laughs) aren't ag right (laughs) let's get a little diversity in here i mean not bashing them but we are made up of mainly older white males which is fine Mm -hmm. they know what they're doing we've got a lot of really good things going but so many good ideas and other creativity and innovation can come from other other avenues too. And mm-hmm. it's, it's frustrating to sit here as nearly 30 year old millennials, um, in yourself, you know, and, and, you know, we're the youngest ones in the room. We're women. Um, Valine mentioned some of the things we talked about and we have literally been patted on the head about those topics from some of those people in those generations in our lives in the last few weeks. And that is just infuriating because here we are trying to make a positive change. And, you know, it's like you, you're, you're running up against a, against a, a barrier and they don't, they don't want to. So I, I'm sorry for interrupting, no, Val, you're, but, <laughs> but we're, we're just so delighted to, to meet someone like us. Um, I know you say that you're like, you said on your podcast, um, you know, you meet people virtually and you force them to be your friends and that's sort of how we feel. Consider us friends. And we hope that we can meet you someday in real life. We could talk to you forever. We're definitely going to have you back. Um, There's so many things that we need to explore further. Um, But before we wrap up this episode, will you please tell our audience and us where we can get some fancy lady swag and where to find you? Yes. um, Well, you can follow me on Instagram. It's just at Court Dehoff. The fancy lady swag is just fancyladycowgirl.com. But it's all over my Instagram. My Facebook is Courtney Dehoff TV. I also have a website. I'm just, you know, it's just all over the place. I'm not necessarily a master marketer yet working on it. Um, but yeah, follow me on social media. That's where I'm, I'm sharing stories. You know, that's where I'm constantly sharing my opinion, whether it's wanted or not. Um, but those are, those are the best options. So Instagram and Facebook. 
Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. And listeners, we thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Uh, you can email us, uh, talk to us at millennialag.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Until next time, we're Millennial Ag. <laughs>